everybody. Welcome to Film Music Media. My name is Kai Savas. We have a real treat today. We're going uh, behind the music of Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Uh, I'm uh, here with the one and only uh, Weird Al Yankovic, the uh, songwriter, the producer, and the writer of the film. Uh, and we got Zach Robinson and Leo Birnberg here, the co-composers of the score of the film. Guys, thank you so much for, for sitting down for this. It's so exciting. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So uh, to start off, I, I mean, Al, I think, I think I'm just going to um, start off with you because, you know, this all comes from you. It comes from your career and your and everything that you've kind of laid out up to this point. And um, I mean, you've from the beginning, you've utilized parody as this beautiful thing to have fun, but not doing it in any demeaning way, just kind of finding things that have kind of floated up to the zeitgeist of pop culture and finding a way to just kind of have fun with it and almost in a complimentary way. So I'm curious, what was your draw to parody as a young person and why make it, like, why did you want to be in a career of, of, of this? <laughs> you know, it wasn't some premeditated thing. I didn't decide when I was, uh, you know, a, a kid that, you know, this was my life. I was going to be weird out for a living. Uh, but like eight, all eight year olds, I, I made fun of the songs on the radio. I would change the words around to amuse my friends. And I, I think every, Every young kid goes through that at some point in their life, and I just kind of never grew out of it. Uh, and the uh, and my problem exacerbated when I started listening to the Dr. Demento radio show because <laughs> then I found all these kindred spirits, people that had made careers doing funny music like Spike Jones and Stan Freeberg and Alan Sherman and Spike Jones, you know, all these amazing people. Uh, and it kind of opened my mind. And, and uh, even that I didn't think like this is my life's calling, but it was a huge interest of mine. And and uh, it, I, I sort of uh, accidentally <laughs> cut a career because I, I never thought, you know, that my life would take this turn. Yeah, that's I mean, and I honestly think because, yeah, you, you really started with your music, of course, and I think music videos at the time were a, a huge thing. And your music videos utilize that visual, you know, medium to enhance the parodies more so of course the songs were fantastic but then you had these amazingly creative you know awesome music videos so i'm curious when did you decide to because i think uh your first one was uh like the the complete al uh, was a mockumentary in 85 and then you did uh -huh. uhf and and of course your weird al show so you've always kind of permeated into the like film and television thing what why did you want to kind of expand on that visually and of course leading up to to today with weird you know <laughs> Uh, you know, I've I've always wanted to be more uh, uh, active in, in TV and film. I haven't had that many opportunities, uh, so so doing the uh, the albums uh, felt steady, you know. And I, yeah. I had 100% control over that as well, which was nice because anytime you do a movie or even a TV production, you're working with an army of people, and it's it's always you know a, a joint effort, which is great. But you know, being a, a singer songwriter performer, you, you kind of get to do it all in a way. Uh, so that, you know, that was very enticing to me. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy, you know, especially for a movie like Weird, uh, it was just amazing to work with so many people who are working really at the top of their game. And uh, the, the entire thing was just a joy. Yeah, and it, it was so great. It was so funny. And uh, I just, you know, for people listening, I want to kind of go back and touch upon the, the origin of Weird, because of course it was that uh, amazing Funny or Die short in 2010 and you had Aaron Paul, you know, playing yourself, and it was just kind of a spoof trailer on the musical biopics, and if anyone was going to make a, a perfect parody of musical biopics, it would have to be you, so 
What did where did that idea from the I guess the original Funny or Die short come from? Was that just Eric that he come up with that and came bring it to you and you're just like yeah, yeah. let's do yeah <laughs> yeah I mean the, the the gem of the idea came from Eric uh, he had he he'd been doing some some fake movie trailers for Funny or Die which is where he worked at the time yeah. he just done a a, a a trailer called Gobstopper which was sort of a dark gritty reboot of Willy Wonka with Christopher Lloyd playing this really sinister character. And it was hilarious. It was very dark and, and bizarre. And uh, and I was following Eric on Twitter and I was aware of his stuff. And uh, then I heard from uh, our mutual friend, Patton Oswalt, that Eric wanted to do uh, the same thing, but do like a, a fake biopic about me. And I, I said, I got to talk to Eric. We got to, I'd, I'd love to collaborate with him on this. So we got together. Uh, over coffee at Primo's Coffee on Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> we uh, watched a bunch of uh, movie trailers on a laptop and, and and threw out some ideas, and and then he went off and uh, and did the Funnier Die thing, which you know, which was viral and was great. But uh, and every every day at the time was like, oh, this should be a real movie, and we're like, yeah, I don't get it. I think it's what it should be right now. Right. Uh, but but three years ago, after Bohemian Rhapsody came out and won all those awards, and uh, and I I really enjoyed the movie, but it bugged me because they took so many liberties with facts and chronology and that's what kind of turned the key in my head i thought okay maybe we can do a weird al biopic if it starts out semi-normal but then just goes completely off the rails so that's what i pitched to eric and he was like yeah let's do that that's amazing and yeah so the, the film itself is just fantastic and like any good parody it it, it finds I don't know, how would you describe parody in your own words? To me, it's like this thing, it's like an inside joke for humanity where it's like, we kind of, <laughs> we kind of, if aliens invaded us tomorrow, they would watch any parody and be like, what is this? Because it's like, we, it's not really commenting directly on these certain tropes or certain like visual language that we all know. We just get it. It's kind of like these things and it can be kind of on the nose and jokey, but I'm curious to you, what do you, how do you define satire or parody? You know, yeah, yeah, they're they're very the two are very similar, and some people interpose them, and maybe I don't even have it right. But uh, as far as I, the, the way that I define it as parody is uh, when you take an existing uh, composition or or intellectual property or anything, and you twist it a little bit and make it funny. And satire is very much the same thing, except it's making a comment on whatever you're parodying. So um, most of my uh, recorded catalog is parody, but there are a few that would be considered satire because they're making fun of the subject matter. Like Smells Like Nirvana is making a comment about Nirvana. And uh, my my Lady Gaga parody, uh, uh, Performed This Way, is about Lady Gaga. And so there's a few in there that would be considered satire, but I think most would follow it in the context of parody. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So And, and the, the movie, I guess, would be satire because we're kind of making fun of the whole format that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, you're just you know, making fun of the whole the the formula of the the the, bi the biopic, the musical biopic, right. which I think uh, is just fantastic because it, I, it is. We, I mean, as as great as those biopics are, which I enjoy them too, it's just like they have a formula that you know every every <laughs> seems like every songwriter that's ever blown up has gone through the same paces of, you know, getting into the dark stuff and coming out on the other end. But and the yeah. way you guys play with that is. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm my, my, my parent my parents were super supportive and loving, and that doesn't fly in a rock biopic. So we had to, yeah. <laughs> had to make that a big subplot of the movie. Like they don't understand me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious. So I, you first of all, before we talk about the score, you got to record re-record some of your songs for for this film, and so I'm curious. What was the process like 
how did you choose which songs were going to appear? What was it like re-recording them? And then I guess at what point did uh, Leo and Zach come into the conversation and we start talking about actually the actual like piecing the the whole thing together, the whole kind of tapestry of music? Yeah. Um, well, we we Eric and I decided uh, while we were writing the movie and, and coming with the whole arc that basically was going to be you know from childhood until 1985 uh so it was all the songs uh in the early part of my career it was the origin story so it was like my bologna yeah. and another one rides the bus i love rocky road eat it like a surgeon and then sort of a late edition was amish paradise which is from 1996 but that was because we needed a big set piece to finish the movie and we figured by that point in the movie nobody cares about what's real <laughs> so we just we just tacked that on there uh and 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 you guys you could you can talk about uh how you how you came in and uh, the, the your timeline in in terms of uh, production? Yeah, so Zach and Leo. I mean, how did you get involved with this project? Uh, did you know Eric? Did you know Al? I'm curious. How did you get involved? And what were the I guess first conversations about about score? We know Eric. Um, we've known Eric for many years. I actually did a show with him in 2015. This one season thing on Fox called Son of Zorn that he emailed oh, yeah, 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 yeah. me yeah. through my website about it. it was like a cold email it's the only time in my entire life it's ever happened and it ha turned into eric who's just been such a great friend and collaborator since so you know every couple months eric's the type of guy who just you'll get a random phone call from him and he'll just tell you really excitedly kind of whatever's on his mind it might have to do with work it might not have to do with work and right. um at some point it was hey you remember that weird owl movie that i was like talking about like a while ago i think it's gonna get greenlit and i was like oh sweet and like if you and i was like okay well we'll see if that happens just because you never know in hollywood like yeah um and then like two weeks later he calls again he's like hey this movie's definitely happening and then like another week later he's like yeah this is definitely happening we're like polishing the script like it, it's going and so um we, I mean, we didn't start on the movie until after it had been shot. Um, and and it, it should be mentioned that uh, this movie was made on an unbelievably impressive timeline. The shoot was 18 days long. Huge oh credit to everyone involved, like, and, and yeah. especially Eric for keeping the trains moving. And just, I feel like every department head on this movie just completely crushed it and was like a part of this vision. And we didn't start really until... Um, I, no, we didn't start on a locked cut, but it was like pretty finely tuned. And I'd say we did the whole score in like four weeks, maybe, Zach, wow. right? Um, yeah. Uh, Zach, and, I don't think your mic is on, but. Oh, <laughs> I, I will say that, you know, the, the, the score was done after the shoot, which is which is the normal uh, timeline. But but uh, out of necessity, I had to record all my material uh, before the shoot because Daniel was lip syncing to the songs. Sure, yeah. And also and also I was about to leave on a six month tour, so it would have been very difficult for me to record things on the road. Uh, so we recorded all those songs. Um, and and I we knew Eric and I had figured out exactly what parts of the songs were going to be in the movie, but I recorded uh, entire versions of the songs because we figured out there might be a soundtrack album down the line. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was very odd for some of the well one in particular another one rides the bus we'd never actually recorded that uh, in a studio uh, the version uh, on the album you know the, the master recording that everybody's familiar with that was just a live performance on the Doctor Demento show and Doctor Demento just happened to have a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder running for an air check. So that air check of the performance was the only version of the song that ever existed until last year, <laughs> 42 years later, when I had to go into the studio to re-record it for the movie. 
That's amazing. What was it like for you, like to 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 do that, to get back in that headspace of you? Like, was it was it kind of like a, a mind, like messing with your mind a bit, like kind of? But it was... Yeah, it, it was a little. It was a little weird, uh, and also, uh, you know, because I, you know, when I did it originally, I was like. 20 years old maybe yeah. so i had to get get in that mindset of like how did i sing when i was 20 and i, I listened to the original recording and i tried to get that untrained kind of voice you know going on uh so it, it was a real uh, interesting thing to like revisit my early self wow that's amazing that's fantastic um so guys for the score for zach and leah like what were the first conversations that you had with eric and what like what was the tone that going to be because i think the key to a good parody score is I think just like playing it serious, but also just turning that melodrama dial like really high up so you kind of get a little bit over dramatic. So I'm curious, how do you know what the right tone is going to be? And what were, I guess, the first conversations about what the music should be? That's exactly, I think you said it like completely perfectly. Like we really like, we had to find a very sincere, authentic tone. And at the same time, you take it to a level that like everyone can get on and yeah. which really sells the the film. And I think everyone really, you know, like Eric talks about how they, they tempt it with, you know, Alan Silvestri and um, Thomas Newman scores from like the early nineties. And it, I mean, it worked amazing. And we watched it yeah. and we're like, okay, like this already works really, really well. So we, we knew that like, if we kind of went down this path, it was going to be great. And the first piece of score that we wrote was, was the ending was Al's speech. And that was where we had our theme presentation of like mm. our big Al theme that was gonna be the movie. And we showed it to Eric and he immediately liked it. And then from, from then on, we just, it was like, you know, propagating what, what film composers do. They find all the different places to employ it. And we had so much fun just throughout the movie finding all the different like weird genres and um, different spots that we can like employ the theme. And it, and it really, uh, it, it pays off pretty well because I just think that we uh we really love that type of score and we oh, never yeah. get to do that type of score and I don't know if we'll ever be able to do that type of score again um yeah so we'll we'll see but we just had such a blast doing it <laughs> and it's Zach said, said most everything the, yeah, the only thing I would add is like the the score plays it straight kind of or it starts off playing it so straight and authentically yeah. and like zach said sincere and as the movie kind of unwinds into more and more unhinged territory i would say the individual score moments sort of embrace parody a little more in sure. terms of like you know the lsd trip is like such this kind of like over the top apocalyptic thing and um like the Amish uh, cartoon or like animated section is kind of its own, just like real leaning hard to the fiddle. Um, right. And so like, we kind of kept our backbone and then just branched out into these ridiculous parodies from there. Yeah. When it becomes an action movie, it's an action movie score all of a sudden. It's amazing. Yeah. You just, everything that was appropriate, but you just did it all straight, which made the comedy work. There's something, you know, universal about that, that type of like sincere, really orchestral film score where, yeah. you know, we all saw this movie in Toronto, the world premieres in Toronto. And I talk about this often, but like that, that showing that world premiere was like electrifying. And I think that first time um, when Al's mom, you know, finds the Hawaiian shirt behind the bed and the music <laughs> swells and it cuts to black and it just says weird. And we hear the theme. Just cheers. Oh man. Cheers. Oh, so great. They just, you just so immediately great. know what that score tells you. Okay, this is what yeah. the movie's gonna be. We're yeah. off and running. Yeah. Yeah. 
was it was it tricky to find that balance though did you did you kind of have to oh we, we went too big here we got to scale it back or this is too small we got to like get it a little bit more maybe syrupy and saccharin or something like that was there like a balancing like type throwback that you had to find or was it was it pretty kind of uh, obvious i guess when you look at the performances and you kind of use that as your kind of gauge it was pretty clear because everyone had a very kind of unified vision of the tone going in and yeah. the performances. I mean, Daniel's freaking amazing in this movie <laughs> yeah, and like, he's just this, I don't know if you'd call the delivery like deadpan, but like just with like the conviction with which he yeah. brings to it, I feel like makes it very clear that you have to score it straight. And in fact, yeah. the only areas where I felt like we aired a little bit and it, there's a few random scenes kind of scattered throughout the movie where V1 was probably like uh, trying to be a little too funny. And then it's always right. funnier when it wasn't funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up, I mean, I always go back to look at those, uh, you know, what, what Elmer Bernstein did on airplane or Ira Newborn mm -hmm. did on naked gun, which of course, you know, Al was familiar with naked gun. And then <laughs> of course he wrote, you know, that amazing spy hard uh, uh, song, which is, I mean, those are all like, perfect examples of how you just play. I mean, and the fact that this came out today or the, in last year in today's, you know, culture is fantastic because I always like, oh, this genre is like, I miss this genre so much and I miss movies like this. And the fact that, you know, I can't think of like, well, I mean, like uh, Walk Hard might be the last one that kind of played around in this world, but this is just so personal and so like unique to, to Al and unique to the genre. And it's, I just had such a good time. <laughs> it was just so good. Um, but for <laughs> Zach, uh, Leo, uh, what what was like maybe your uh, was there any like a tricky or challenging scene to film to to score and was there anything that kind of threw threw for a loop or like it took maybe the extra tweaking to get it right? We talk about this one often, but we we our first version of In Memoriam was uh, <laughs> you know to go off what Leo was just saying was we played it way too kind of funny and yeah. Leo describes it as the friends we made along the way version it was it had a very it had a beat it was like a rhythm it was like nothing you had heard it was almost like this weird palate cleanser to after yeah. Al dies and Al was like guys what I just died yeah. that, that was, that was sort of, <laughs> that's like my one big note for their whole I love the entire score and that was the one thing was like yeah you're a little bit, bit too happy about me being yeah. dead I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure about that one so we ended up, you know, doing our, our Yo-Yo Ma cello tribute, um, which, which you know, in turn, of course, made it funny because it was, yeah. we, we had to play. And I think the other, the, the other one that took a while was the, was Dr. Demento um, talking, when Dr. Demento first- Their first out, introduction, yeah. We were playing it a little too cute a few times. We played it kind of funny and it was the way you, you would do almost like just a comedy score, like there was pizzicato yeah. and there were things like that and, and, um, you know, again, the, the funnier version was the really emotional, sentimental <laughs> version, and it's it just always played the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, was there what was like the most, I guess, creatively rewarding scene for you to to, to score? Because I mean, you guys, I think we were kind of in similar age where we grew up with this stuff, so it must have been just so fun for you to just dive in and and kind of mimic the style, but also inject your voice into it as well. So I'm curious for you guys as composers, what was the most creatively rewarding like scene? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh man, honestly, that's tough. There's like a short list probably of like four or five that are very yeah, that's near, a, yeah, near top, to us. Top like five. The, di <laughs> the diner fight is, which is kind of spins off into this insane John yeah. Wick territory. And the reason why I think it is real, we that's kind of at the top of our list is because a lot of 
what you hear in that fight that does not sound like it is actually accordion, like run yeah, yes. through <laughs> you got like, recording, guitar processing. And, and then there is also accordion that sounds like accordion. And it, you know, it comes in when it's kind of like a knife fight later. And it, it, it just, what's, what's actually very impressive to me about it is how many people notice the accordion and like come up to us after they see the movie and are like, the accordion in the diner fight is like, amazing and like sorry my dog is squeaking his favorite toy over there oh, that's um, fine the, it's barely barely coming in we're good great it, it um, adds ambiance it's good yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's practicing his accordion for long yeah. um the so that i mean it's just cool that everyone like recognized the accordion in that sequence um yeah i don't know zach what are our other favorites i we mean love dad apologizes, dad apologizes. The, um when his dad reveals he's wearing a hawaiian shirt in the factory i think it's like an all-time moment yeah the trumpet mm. the high trumpet um, yeah we love you know my bologna epiphany is up yep. there that was just oh, that's a great you, you know yeah again it's like we don't often get to just kind of do that like in yeah. a very sincere way that that tone that very earnest film score tone that i think is kind of gotten dated um, yeah you know if we had our the way, great american hero story of the yeah. early 1990s like it's yeah. it was a genre unto itself and like yeah it's Absolutely. yeah it's not cool anymore but it should be it should be well you you mentioned accordion you got you were able to get the accordion in there which is had to have happened i mean it was perfect for way were there any kind of unique uh you mentioned you were kind of processing it and making it sound were there any kind of unique tricks or instruments that you guys were using to kind of uh, flesh out the score in funny and unique ways you know uh i don't think this was you guys I, this might have been a sound editing thing but in in the lsd sequence when uh rain wilson is, is talking about making references to eat it you hear uh the synclavier notes from eat it slash beat it which yeah. they worked into the score. Did you guys, were you guys involved in that? No, that no. I literally yeah. didn't cool. know this. This is awesome. Yeah, no, listen, listen to that. Cause they, they were working the, the, the bomb, the, those notes. Oh he, yeah. He, work, he works into it really subtly. So you wouldn't hear it on the first time, but if you, if you, if you're tuned into it, you're like, oh yeah, they're like working in, eat it into the whole thing. Yeah. Sound yeah. designers are so cool, man. Yeah. They just yeah. like, when you look at their like stack of like, you know, this is like, this is one sound and it's like eight sounds all combined. Right. Like, it's awesome. and, and like they, they have all these like inside jokes and putting them together. I, it's really impressive to me. I mean, besides, you know, yeah, we ran the accordion through the Kemper audio profile, like the guitar amp profiler basically, and just yeah. had like a lot of fun with that. And we put, yeah, I don't know, like we put, uh, echo effects and reverb for the epiphany moment um while it's fluttering this reverse kind of effect um it's a wild instrument we were talking about it the other day without it's just like it's heavy there's a lot of coordination involved i was just very impressed just learning about the instrument <laughs> yeah i mean i just love that that al has kind of given i guess just like the accordion the spotlight that it, it deserves you know i think a lot and and, and now maybe it's talk about um, I, I know your love for polka is just so just amazing. And, 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 and why do you love the accordion? Why is that your instrument? What, what attracted you to it, I guess, from the very beginning? Well, it, it was sort of foisted on me. I mean, my parents, I mean, one of the, one of the true things in the movie is uh, I did in fact start taking accordion lessons because of a door to door salesman. Somebody oh. came around to our house, uh, who was trying to drum up work for his, uh, music studio and they, they offered accordion lessons and guitar lessons. And my parents being the visionaries that they were, they said, oh, young Alfred would love the accordion. Uh, so and when I was yeah, seven years old, I, I started taking lessons. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine I was begging for accordion lessons, but they, they made that decision. And uh, that was sort of, uh, you know, that's what I grew up with. So it is to this day the only instrument I can play well. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> Not the best, but arguably the most famous, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> We had so, Corey Pesatero, he was the best. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the accordion player who we had come play on the score is named Corey Pesatero, and he is literally the world champion accordion player. Oh, and wow. his honestly, his abilities are like a sight to behold and sound to behold. We met he's, him at he's he, performed, he performed at the SEL Awards. That's how we how we met. Oh, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Ago. That's incredible. Well, you mentioned about, I think we earlier you mentioned that you started with the finale and you kind of came up with a theme there and i'm always curious about structuring scores and kind of finding the the whole kind of three-act structure of it so I'm, I'm curious uh you said you were working kind of not on the lock picture but maybe like a work print or something and there was temp scoring so was a uh, spotting kind of already determined by the time you came on or did you have to kind of figure out what places really needed score and what places you needed to kind of pull back from and let it let the the acting kind of do the, the comedic work um it was pretty determined, but not so much because the temp, I like, I don't even, the temp was like mostly there, but kind of incomplete at the time. Mm. Um, Cause like there was no studio reviewing that like cared a lot about the temp score type of thing. So it was kind of like half done until we started. And then Eric had a very clear idea of like ins and outs for every scene. I think it's like really one of his, strengths among many he's very good at spotting music and so yeah. um we would go in and even if there wasn't temp in a scene he would be like we should come in exactly here and then like do this here and then come out exactly here um so we had like a pretty solid list yeah to, to take us through but we did start at the end and then go back to the beginning and we kind of wrote it in order after that but not totally in order yeah i mean and do you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it, yeah, I mean, I'm always, I'm curious how you kind of keep that map in your head. Like, I always think of like composers have like, like that, you know, where you're looking for like a murder and there's like yarn and pins put, like, how do you structure a score? Do you just keep it between your ears like that? You know, where, when to hit the themes and, oh, we use that theme in this reel and we know, we know when to kind of reprise it over here. Or is it something that so. you have kind of like a, a spreadsheet or something that we're like, all right. Well, there is a spreadsheet. <laughs> there, there is a quite literal spreadsheet. But that, that's like some of the most fun is like, you know, starting with like the 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 speech and then saying, well, where does that, like, where yeah. could we take that vibe specifically? Yeah, I was thinking, mm -hmm. you know, Wolfman Jack, you know, that worked really well. I'm trying to think, like, you, you propagate these like little, these uh, seeds from like one cue, you know, and like you start to like explore the different vibes and, I feel like, you know, real one has a lot of the very earnest kind of happy John Williams style, like early nineties home alone type music. <laughs> and like that, that, that was its own little plant. Right. So like, there's, there's like, we find the different spots um, and see how much we can get done with, with that. And then of course we have our, you know, Columbia music that is its own. We have to do our own right. thing with that. So like, I think, uh, and and the way that we work, too, is often very much, like, we start something up based on kind of who's more enthusiastic about the scene. <laughs> like, who's just, like, who has a, a, an idea, and then, you know, we we share it and we work on it together. But that's kind of how we start. So, like, 
you know, we can cover a lot of ground that way, just the two of us, but it really yeah. So is that, is that always, I mean, is that how you guys are also work in Cobra Kai? You just kind of throw stuff up yeah. and be like, yeah. who likes this? Who, who's, I guess, feeling it more? And then you take that and then do you guys have yeah, a Yeah, we don't even scene? go down like, the list. It's usually scene. someone <laughs> just says like, hey, I've got an idea for this. Like the minute we leave a spotting session. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we'll just go home and start working on stuff and then start swapping. I have to say, Eric and I sort of worked the same way in the screenplay because oh, yeah. we divided, we, we came up with a story together and then we divided it up into 22 sections and we we kind of took the parts that we felt most passionate about. It's like the, the like the diner fight scene. I was like, you know, that's more of a director's medium, so you should do that and l- let me do the the, uh, the 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 Pablo Escobar bit of the compound. And we just worked on what we felt, you know, the 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 strongest about. But then, of course, we punched up each other's stuff. So the yeah. entire process was yeah. like continually rewriting each other. So which Absolutely. was a lot yeah. of fun. Which was a lot of fun. I'm always, but I'm curious, Al, because I always I'm like, so when you're writing dialogue like that, and you know that there's going to be an actor that's going to impersonate that and then bring it to life and embody that, how much of it is like, are you imagining, like, I guess, how big, how big are you seeing it in your head versus what the eventual, I guess, performance is going to be? Is it always kind of exactly how you pictured it or did it completely when it, different? When it way? actually happens? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, some, sometimes it's exactly what you had in your head, which is a, which is an amazing thing. To, to see it like happening in three dimensions in front of you and sometimes right. you get surprised i mean some some things uh, work out even better than you'd imagine because the actors just bring so much to it that, that that's not on the written page so it's it's always yeah. uh, uh well not always always but it's usually a very nice surprise <laughs> and when you're like really focusing on a certain genre um do you just go back and rewatch? Do you, do you have biopics kind of burn in your brain or do you go back and rewatch certain ones to just like familiar, familiarize yourself with the tropes? <laughs> yeah, Eric and I both, uh, you know, watched a, a fair amount of biopics to, to kind of uh, get the format down. And we didn't have to watch a whole lot because we found out very early on, they're all kind of the same. They all really <laughs> follow this very kind of strict format. And it was pretty easy to, to tap into that. And who, 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 how did you choose your wig? I'm just curious. You're nice. You're in the, in the movie that you're wearing. You're nice, perfect studio executive yeah. wig. Oh, oh, my my personal your wig. wig. Yeah. yeah, your personal. Uh, wig. Well, that that was that was that was based off of Tony Scotty, who was in fact uh, the president of my record company. So I, oh, yeah, the, the hair department just looked at at uh, Google image search pictures of Tony Scotty from the '80s, and that's what we went for. Oh, that's Al, awesome. Al, did you always know you were gonna play that part? Kind of, yeah, because in the original Funny or Die video, uh, I played the record company executive. Yeah. And, and that mm-hmm. wasn't that that version wasn't really supposed to be or look like Tony Scotty. Uh, but but this new movie, we wanted to make completely accurate. And Al, do you ever see yourself coming back like like full time in front of like a starring role again? Because UHF and I mean, they're just so oh. good. Like, and, I would love- you know, I've, I've never ruled it out uh, yeah you know know, man uh thank you it's it's a miracle when anything gets made so i'm just oh yeah yeah happy weird got made uh and you know i i hope that there's uh some kind of future for me in tv and or film but you know that's you know that's something that remains to be seen yeah i mean your voiceover work is fantastic you do always you've done a lot of uh great little uh you know especially on some stuff that we produce adventure time and you know uncle grandpa you're always here and close enough but uh yeah, but I think you're a fantastic performer too. I mean, in terms oh, thank of acting, you. like thank comedic you. timing, like oh, UHF is one shout re re released it recently. That was I was like, yes, finally it's on Blu-ray. So. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, guys, um, uh, 
I'm to, to, to I guess wrap up the conversation. I'm curious. Oh, maybe we'll go with all three of you guys. Al, you can talk about just the state. I want to. I want to ask what What do you think of the state of parody is like? Just parody as a genre today, and what is the future of the genre? Whether it's music or film. And then Zach and Leo, you can talk about maybe the score. Like how <laughs> I'm just curious because like oh gosh, I, I feel like it's kind of a dead genre. Like I can't. Like it's, I, that's why I was so happy to see this movie get made. Like, is it yeah. possible in today's like pop culture to to kind of take something, lampoon it a bit, and have fun with it um, without being too mean yeah. and you know, you know, maybe making people angry? But you know, just it, you found like the perfect balance, I think. But I, also Thank picking, you. picking yourself too is a, a much easier, I guess, to to make fun of too. But <laughs> that's 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 a big question to answer. Um, yeah, there aren't a whole lot of movies like this, or or even even comedies like this. Yeah, uh, and and there's a number of reasons why. I mean, it, it seems like for the last a uh, decade or so, uh, the theatrical movies have been gravitating toward either, you know, Marvel movies, like the huge big movies, or very small indie movies. And a lot of comedies are somewhere in the middle ground. So yeah. those are a little harder to get greenlit. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's tough to say. Um, there, there, for a while, a lot of comedy and spoof movies are being made, and the quality on those, uh, I'll be polite and say they varied. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but yeah, the, uh, the, the, the glory days of the, the ZAZ movies, like, you know, yep. top secret and airplane and, and naked gun. We, we haven't seen that for a while. So I, I'd, I'd love to think that maybe this movie could help usher in a new era of that kind of movie. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see that. And, and Zach Leo, your, your take on, is it even possible to like, like say you made a, I know they, I think they've made like a superhero spoof movie, but like, I feel like the score, like scores today have even though they are there's some great stuff being done it, i feel like it'll be so difficult to parody like certain writing styles of the past 15 years right like i'm curious how would you I, approach that I, if, if, well <laughs> we do we do a lot of comedy like and and every year it becomes less and less comedic even though mm -hmm. technically they're comedies and i yeah. think there's like kind of this interesting thing that happened with like film music and like sort of the direction of it where like in like 2010 even you might have like a movie that has like a scene i'm actually thinking about something from my past as like an assistant where there's like a silly game of like capture the flag happening on screen and like it has it's like the direction is to basically let's score it like it's pirates of the caribbean like it'll be yeah. really funny to like really lean hard into this thing but that's not what's happening on screen but yeah. in 2023 you'd actually just have like a pirate setting for a show and you would write an authentic pirate score for right. the show, but then the show would happen to be fun. It's like right. a different, like this thing happened where I, I guess like the, the settings became like more literal within comedy. It, it, it isn't just like kind of joking about like, well, wouldn't it be funny if it was this? It actually just is this. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I, I personally think the best, like parody movie ever is Galaxy Quest. Oh, and I'm yeah. so like good. obsessed great, with it. Oh, and like, so and the score is unfreaking believable. Oh, and it's, and it's yeah. not yeah. really making fun of Star Trek at all. It's just <laughs> this beautiful like thing that can, sounds can like Jerry Goldsmith could have written. Can I, can I take the baton from that? Because yes, that is just yes. like such a perfect example of kind of what I was going to say, where it's like almost like score with these types of movies and projects is like exempt from parody status because right. it's always approached as we talked about at the beginning of the conversation from this very sincere way david yeah. newman knew what he was doing when he was writing that theme 
Um, yeah. And, and it, and it's resonant. And like, I still remember that theme and I don't even know how well the movie did, but like we all, yeah. especially film score nerds, like love that music. And like, you know, we often talk about with Cobra Kai, like there's a world where the music of Cobra Kai is a parody where it's, yeah, we're making I, fun I of that. And it, and it, we're not at all. Like it is, we just genuinely love like eighties action music and, yeah. and music and stuff like that. So it's, it's almost like, I think if, if the heart is there and I mean, it's just the way that like Al approaches his music too. It's like, it always comes from a place of admiration and yes. of like love and stuff like that. I, 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 there's something very interesting with how music really ties in to parody. And I think this was such an amazing masterclass on it, uh, working mm -hmm. on this film. Because yeah, you guys did such a good job because yeah, I can't, the last one that I really, that stood out to me, I think was like Teddy Shapiro's uh, Tropic Thunder score. I thought that was like- yeah. Oh yeah, also yeah. an so amazing good. movie. Just yeah. like yeah. so good. Fantastic. I mean, you take that out, it's literally like a, I get like a Black Hawk Down, you know, like, you know, yeah. war, war movie yes. score, but you take it away from the picture. And just like yours, you, you take your score away from it and yet you get, you kind of go over the top in some areas, but there's sections that's like, this is great sentiment, sentimental, like heartwarming stuff and really it just completely plays like really uh, emotionally. So it's a, it works so well when it's put on that visual thing. But um, yeah, well, guys, oh, thank you. Congratulate you guys for this the movie, the score, the songs, and Al for for helping bring this to the world. And 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 I mean, you must be just so happy to see it, it kind of finally get out. And yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> we're all happy. Yeah, but I mean, and you guys did such a fantastic job. So yeah, thank you so much for your time tonight for sure sharing a little bit about your worlds. And uh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot.